Thank you, everyone, and welcome to this week's speaker series. I'm happy to be joined today by Jacques Aurelian Marcereau. Did I pronounce that correctly, Jacques? It was perfect. Thank was you. it? Okay. I, I hope you're just not being generous with that, but thank you. Uh, so thank you for joining us today. I know you're joining us from Europe, so I know that it is a bit late for you, but uh, still happy that you were able to join us. So Jacques is the portfolio manager of the EDRF Big Data Fund. Jacques, you want to give us a very high level what it is that your fund is invested in and focused on. Sure. So first of all, thank you very much for having me. So I've been covering tech for the last 14 years. And a bit more than eight years ago, I did create a fund, which is about uh, capitalizing on the potential of data, uh, big data. And as you know, everything today runs on data, especially all the algorithm we talked about. So this is what we did eight years ago and uh, with some success. And uh, we believe this is just getting started as far as this thematic is concerned. Exactly. So we're just getting started here now. Now, why why data as a thematic? Because it seems to uh, some observers might say, well, at some point, this is like saying, you know, this is going to be so pervasive that how can you just segregate a whole theme around data when it's going to become so pervasive? What's your what's your answer to that? First of all, I would tend to agree with you. We use the term big data to describe the fact that we went from data scarcity to abundance in just a decade. Mm -hmm. uh, but our children and grandchildren, they will never talk about big data because it will be everywhere and they will have all of, all of the development that come with it. But if you think just for one second about Google and Facebook, two of the most powerful companies on earth, what do they do? They just organize the data that you and I and the people listening to us uh, create. Google didn't create the web, they just organize the link between website. Facebook did not create your friends, just organize content they create so that you spend a lot of time. And the more data they get, the more powerful their service, the more powerful the service, the more you use it, the better their data, the more powerful, et cetera. You see there's a virtuous cycle at play with data that of course works for Facebook and Google but could work for many companies. So to your point, yes, data would be pervasive and we are learning to create value with it. And of course, Google and Facebook were the pioneers, but much more to come, I believe. Okay, so so let's, let's quickly jump to what's perhaps the most obviously talked about part of your world right now, which is artificial intelligence. We know that ever since um, uh, uh, GPT-4 uh, uh, came out, Late last year, there's been a, a, a plethora of money that has poured into the space. Everyone is trying to bend over backwards to say artificial intelligence as many times as they can in their earnings calls, hope, uh, hoping that it gets them the, the 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 right amount of investor support. So, what what give us give us your overall view of artificial intelligence? Is it do you see immediate gains in productivity? Do you see immediate uh, a sort of uh, gains in, in profitability for some of these companies? Uh, what are some of the winners besides the obvious names that have done very well this year? What are some of the secondary and tertiary winners of there? So kind of give us your brief overview of the space. Sure, sure. I and mean, that, that's a great question. And we try to, to answer in, in a few minutes and not talk hours about it. Um, AI has been around for a few years, but AI really came to the public eye thanks to ChatGPT. So it is more evolution than a revolution that did happen just you know, a few months ago, a few quarters ago. So that's maybe my first point. And my second point is 
as human beings, we tend to always overestimate in the short term, underestimate in the long run. And this is exactly what is happening with the markets, meaning that everybody is thinking that AI is tomorrow. Uh, it is today and it will continue to happen, but there will not be a big bang in, in just a few quarters. Just think about autonomous driving. Um, for people that listened to us uh, in 2015, 1-5, uh, we all saw YouTube video of self-driving car in San Francisco, in Shanghai, whatever. And in 2017, even very respectable companies like Ford, General Motors, or even Lyft, which is you know Uber competitor in the US, they told us we will mass produce autonomous vehicle by 2021. Where are they? Mm-hmm. And where is Elon Musk autonomous driving uh, features? It is progressing with takes more time, but autonomous driving will be there one day. AI right. will be there. We need to be patient. So to your point, uh, maybe it's a bit over excitement. This is why when it comes to investing, people have to be very like down to earth and care about valuation what the true state of the technology is. And one last point, maybe you can talk more about that, is that all these models that we heard about, like ChatGPT, Google Bar, um, Anthropy, Coir, etc., etc., they are never stronger than the data they are trained upon. Mm-hmm. Meaning that at the end of the day, this is the limiting factor, and this is where much, most of the value will be. Okay, so, you know, there is... Uh especially at the beginning of the year, um, there's obviously a, a, a high concentration of performance and attention on, you know, six or seven names. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the big companies that have access to big data, that have access to the money and capital that's required to run these large language models, which as you all know, it requires billions of dollars in invested capital because these GPU clusters are very expensive. So names like NVIDIA, uh, Microsoft, Google, those have been the, the main beneficiaries up to this point. Do you continue to see this sort of winner-take-all, uh, uh, um, let's say, uh, uh, investment process kind of working itself out? Or do you think that this is going to be expanding to secondary and tertiary players as well? Sure. I mean, we, we need to to make a difference between NVIDIA, Microsoft, Google, etc. Together, they all benefited from a dual trend which is the first one is, of course, they are perceived to be beneficiary of AI. But this alone does not explain the rally year to date. If you look at the rally, it really started in March. Why? Because investors were looking for safe haven and tech is considered to be a safe haven. But if then you tell investors, you can have a safe haven and AI in the same stocks, seven stocks, this is why one plus one is not equal to two, but to three or to four and to five. And this is why all these names are up 40, 40 to 50%, 5-0 year to date, because this is combination of safe haven and perception of AI. But not all of them will benefit equally from AI and not all of them are truly safe haven at the end of the day. This is why we need to draw a distinction. And NVIDIA for now is a real beneficiary of AI with tangible earnings to speak of. The, and NVIDIA is living an interesting moment because maybe NVIDIA is the next Apple because of the vertically integrated approach where they, they control everything, the software, the hardware, the networking, everything. Maybe it will work. But remember, Apple had two times in story. They had the MacBook where they were like 5% of the whole market with their vertical approach mm-hmm. and the iPhone where they are more than 50% of the market in value. So the jury is still out. 
but clearly Nvidia has a head start and the others are more benefit benefiting from let's say people thinking that they will win, but they have still a lot, a lot to prove. So so I would draw a distinction between Nvidia and the six others. Right. And and from your vantage point, when do you think let's say other companies that don't derive direct revenues or earnings from either the use or 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 build out of of generative AI, when do you think that other companies can start seeing some of the productivity and profitability enhancing uh, uh, aspects of the adoption of the technology? Sure, sure. Just before I answer your question, I, I'd go back to the previous one to, to tell you something that I believe is important. Um, more than eight years ago, when we started the fund, NVIDIA was a top five position of ours, and it was trading at a P of 1.8, 18 times. But at this time, all the most respected sell-side analysts on earth would tell you that Intel was going to tell to kill NVIDIA and integrating a GPU into the CPU, meaning that the graphic card would be like a commodity. Right. This is why it was cheap. And right. look at what happened eight years later. NVIDIA yeah. is 10x the market cap of Intel, 10x, um, which tells you that people don't really know at the end of the day. This is why we need active management and we need to carefully monitor development. So I would guard investors thinking, okay, I buy NVIDIA for my grandchildren because in eight years, things might be quite different from today, even though NVIDIA is a head start. Uh, sorry for this digression, but I thought- No, I, I, I think it's a very valid point. So I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because uh, the, the future is truly unknowable, right? So uh, uh, it's 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 good that you bring that up because you're absolutely right. Most people thought that Intel would swallow up NVIDIA and it's been quite the opposite, right? At some point, NVIDIA might just take out Intel. Um, and, you know, so, so some people speculate this might happen because the only thing NVIDIA doesn't have is manufacturing. Correct. And this right. is one of the last assets of Intel is manufacturing That's right. footprint. That's right. So it, it, could, it could be a real possibility, but... I don't want to spread a rumor here. <laughs> That's it's right. just one person opinion that it could happen. Um, but back to your question about um, about AI, of course, everybody wants to invest in companies that will directly provide the tools for AI, like the database, like the, the, G, the GPU. Um, but one should think about the fact that at the end of the day, since the algorithm is only as strong as the data, if you invest in a company that has a unique data set, uh, that is proprietary, maybe with a strong domain expertise, like, I don't know, a specific subset of insurance, uh, then you have data that are not in the web ready to be scrapped. Uh, this is data that are unique to you, and that if you use the algorithm and the GPU right, and that you use AI on your side, you can create a lot of value for yourself. So today the market is only looking at the obvious, meaning the one providing the technology, Right. But the one having the data and leveraging the technology might create even more value down the road, but will take maybe a few years to play out, three, five years, but this should be one one investment horizon. Mm -hmm. No, you're absolutely right. So so let me ask you this, apart from AI, because I don't want to, I mean, we could, like you mentioned, spend the entire call on this topic. Um, it's It's that important, but also that perhaps misunderstood, I think, too, right? Uh, uh, because, you know, I, I've, I've heard people say, well, are, are we're a generalized artificial intelligence. And no, not quite there yet. But um, perhaps that could happen at any moment, right? We don't know. But apart from AI, in, in, in which sectors do you see uh, potential in the space? 
uh, um, it's, you know, specifically your sort of big data uh, mm. a, a basket of, of companies? Sure. So if, if I talk about tech first before going outside of tech, what we love the most today is verticalized software, meaning companies that do provide software, but not for everyone. Software for a specific industry that the software uh, provider really understand. For example, people that would be the leader in software for restaurants, they understand the business model of a restaurant. So they can really improve their CRM, their warehouse, their, all their management system and create a software that is really extraordinary. This is right. a bit the opposite of a sales force that would create the same software and try to sell to everyone. So we like people that really uh, have domain expertise and that will be able to leverage this data down the road, you know, uh, to improve even further. So we are a big believer in this trend in software. Outside of software, we believe that insurance, uh, especially- Insurance, PNC, you said, sorry? Insurance? Yes, I said insurance. Yep. Okay. Uh, because insurance, especially property and casualty insurance, is all about assessing a risk given the data you have, and right. then you mutualize the risk on your insurance base. So this player, their business is to use the data wisely. So AI and all these technologies can help them make their business even better, more efficient, and structurally more profitable. And I mean, this is not something widely told, but I believe this is maybe one sector that will benefit the most from a lot of what is talked about today in tech. So insurance we like. Uh, in the longer term, maybe more five to 10 years, healthcare is really the sector where data will make a big difference, both from a, let's say, business model standpoint, but also from a, a quality of life standpoint. Uh, meaning that you know, if we can get to this predictive medicine that everybody has been talking about and personalized medicine, right. uh, we will all be better off and only data uh, and AI will lead us to that. Uh, but today we are still at, in the early innings. We see already some application like in radiology. We have been invested in a company uh, which is not a startup. The founder is 80 years old, eight zero. Mm. Uh, he has the largest, you know, cent centers of um, radio chain of radiology centers in the US, more than 300. And he bought a few AI startups saying, okay, guys, you have the talent, I have the data, let's work together. And he's getting uh, algorithm FDA certified for breast cancer recognition. Because if an algorithm can recognize a cat, why couldn't it recognize a cancer when seeing enough you know, images of it? So right, we, right, see some, yeah. we see some area of healthcare where it's starting to happen. Uh, it will take time, uh, but we are really enthusiastic yes, on insurance and healthcare in particular. Yeah, no, and, and that's funny that you bring that up because healthcare is one of our sort of preferred sectors here uh, precisely uh, because it has such a high exposure to quality uh, as a factor, as a, you know, pharma French factor. Uh, you know, they tend to have high return on equities, uh, high return on equity, low leverage and debt. Uh, uh, so that is excellent. So before we jump into some questions from the audience, and I'd like to remind everyone that if you do have questions for Jacques, please submit them via the chat or to me directly. I'd be more than happy to address them with him now. Uh, before we get into that, can we dive a little bit into your investment process? How is your team organized? How do you um, how do you figure out which which stocks fall under your investment universe? Um, what sort of decision-making steps you take? And then maybe you can end it with a couple of sort of key metrics of the fund over time. Sharp, uh, a return, 
volatility, those types of things, maximum drawdown, those types of issues. Sure, sure. I will do that in a few minutes. And uh, just before on your comment on healthcare, I strongly agree with what you said. And most of the time, people think healthcare is a sector to hide, a defensive sector, but it is also a growth sector and mm -hmm. an innovation one. So I think this is one that deserves maybe more, more respect from investors that sometimes consider healthcare just through the biotech angle, or even through even more specialized angle where healthcare should be seen as a galaxy and not just one planet. Right. Um, but uh, to your point, so the way we do run the fund, two things. It is a thematic fund, but this is a core fund, meaning that the fact that we look at data and not only the pure tech names uh, makes the fund resilient through cycle. And history has shown that in 2016, bad year for tech or 2022, we did outperform MSCI World, not only tech, but MSCI World. So we were really different because we are a data fund, not a tech fund. And this fund operates with Rothschild DNA, meaning that we are not here to be the best in any single year. We are here to sustain over the long term. So this is what we've been trying to do over the last eight years. Um, and this is how people should see us. And a metric of that, to come to your point, 95% uh, of companies in portfolio make money, real earnings, which is not the case of a lot of tech companies. Right, right. The, the P of the fund, which is then representative because companies make money, is around 16.16, which is even slightly below global markets. So we are very careful on free cash flow generation, valuation, while still having some good growth because the fund has been growing 15% give or take per year. So this is what we strive to achieve. Uh, it's not explosive growth. It's, you know, a kind of being a good steward of um, on this thematic with, uh, with, with our DNA. And we are talking about, you know, what Rothschild is as far as equity is concerned is concentrated portfolio, less than 50 stocks, uh, holding for the long term, three to five years on every name we have in average. Uh, so this is, and fundamental analysis is core. And to answer fully your question on the process, one thing I'd like, I, I would highlight in a few minutes is we spend a lot of time and energy getting alternative data and meeting with experts on the ground, meaning that I might not be the best to judge of a cybersecurity product or firewall, whatever. But if I can talk to 10 guys, selling firewalls across the world. Mm -hmm. I can get a really interesting feedback that then I can cross with financial analysis and make a good decision out of it. So we are three people in the team with the help of 17 uh, equity PM on the non-tech part mm -hmm. uh, of the fund. So quite a collaborative work. And right. we, we use these experts quite extensively to make sure that our risk uh, approach is, um, uh, is a strong one. Excellent, excellent. Uh, okay, Jacques, so I think we can go to a couple of questions here. Um, sure. the, the first question is, what do you think about CDNS and ANET? Thank you. Sure, these are two good, good questions. So I believe that CDNS is a company you can, you can keep for the long haul. Uh, this is an oligopoly. It will always be needed. The only thing to care about is valuation. Uh, because, you know, these tend to be cyclical names at the end of the day, even though their investor base has, has broadened over the last few years. So for me, CDNS is just a matter of valuation and how stretched you want to be with, you know, uh, software names. But interestingly, it's a very strong company. Arista is a bit different. Arista relies a lot on two big customers. Uh, 
and they are quite expensive and you have some Taiwanese alternatives that are quite strong out there, thinking about people like Acton uh, in Taiwan. So I would say this is one where people have to be careful and the stock has run up a lot uh, because now it is perceived to be an AI beneficiary, which it is, mm -hmm. uh, but it's not the end of the story. It doesn't rule out competition and uh, and more complex stuff down the road. You saw this morning, there was a news where uh, Google wants to get rid of Broadcom as a supplier for their chips for data centers. I saw that, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if kind of the same news happened to Arista, where maybe Facebook or Microsoft want to get a bit more on their own, the stock would be under pressure. So this is one people need to monitor carefully because it is a well-run company, good technology, uh, not cheap anymore, and you have this risk. So I would be more careful on this one. Excellent. And we don't own any of these two names, by the way, but... You don't? Okay. Okay. Good to know. Uh, so so there's uh, oh, a bunch more questions have been coming in here. So uh, let's get to it, because otherwise we're going to run out of time. So what are your favorite stocks in the portfolio looking forward? So one of my favorite stocks, which is not a cheap stock, by the way, uh, is Guidewire Software. So basically, it is a global leader, SaaS uh, software as a service in PNC uh insurance uh, sector. So basically, this is a software that is the ERP of insurance. And because there's a, this global leader, it's a 5 billion market cap, so more of a mid cap. They see all of the data from insurers and they are a trusted partner for the long term. Uh, trading at six times million sales, give or take. Uh, so quite cheap for a vertical leader. Uh, we believe this is a company that is well run and has a very long, let's say, um, uh, runway of growth in front of it. So we like it for the very long term, not as a trade, more as a as an investment. It could be an attractive MA target though, but uh, that's would be my favorite stock today. Okay. Uh, okay. Next question here is uh how do you see the cybersecurity industry position in terms of growth and valuation? Sure. So cybersecurity is um let me tell you one thing. If you take the top 10 names in cybersecurity that are listed they make up, give or take, 150 billion of market cap. So it's quite a big chunk. Um, but most companies don't make money even today if you account for stock-based compensation. So cybersecurity is a great sector, but it's an even better sector for the management team than that you know, <laughs> makes a lot of money and employees. Right, right, so, right, right. So, so I, I think- That's so great expensive. for shareholders, right? Yeah, it's not as great for shareholders. That, that, that's the issue. So we have some cybersecurity exposure, especially last year. We had two companies that were bought that were in cybersecurity, which name were Sellpoint and ForgeRock. Right now in cyber, we are very careful. We prefer companies like Booz Allen Hamilton in cyber defense that we own in portfolio, or companies like, like Akamai, which are, not, which are not pure play in cybersecurity, uh, but it's more than 50% of their business, 5-0. Uh, rather than the high flyers that are very expensive and not making earnings if you take them on gap, gap accounting. So cybersecurity is a very tough sector because the trend is here. Everybody can see it. And this is why a good trend is not necessarily a good investment. Uh, one needs to be very careful. So we would maybe avoid the name too, let's say, too visible. And I'm not mentioning a company which name is, uh, looks like a, a place in Silicon Valley. This one we would avoid. Okay. Okay. And uh, I think we have time for one more question and we'll go over a little bit in time, but that's okay because we had some technical difficulties at the beginning. But um, sector-wise, apart from healthcare and insurance and what other sectors are you exposed in your portfolio? Can you give an example? 
Sure, sure. So we have also ex exposure to some banks. Uh, we have exposure to logistics uh, because we believe this is an area where big data can bring big benefits. So clearly, we are not like a, a three-sector type of fund. It's much more diversified. I would take maybe the question the opposite. The only sectors that we don't find, let's say, opportunities to invest against, as we speak, is materials, utilities, um, staples, um, and energy. We have one company in energy, but only one, which is Schlumberger. So these are sectors that are underrepresented in the, in the fund. And the way we invest, we can do uh, across the spectrum. We can go big cap, mega cap, or even small cap as long as liquidity is, uh, is sufficient to, to run the fund properly. Okay. And now the last question, do you invest only in big caps? Are there any size limits in the portfolio? Sure. So I, I partly answered it, but uh, there are no limits in terms of market cap, even though our strategy is more than 2 billion euros as we speak, so a bit more in, in US dollar. Um, so this is quite, you know, still a, it's more in the great scheme of things, but we we are careful not going into let's say 200 million market cap company. You now we are we are very disciplined on liquidity, but if we find opportunities, even in small mid, uh, we go for them, provided they generate cash flow and uh, we have a strong conviction on on their path to profitability. Excellent. Okay, so um, unfortunately we've we've run out of time, but we've also run out of questions, so it actually works out <laughs> perfectly. So so Jacques, thank you so much for joining us this evening for you in Paris uh, afternoon here still with us in the United States, but still it was great to hear from you. So uh, just so you all know, just a recap, this is the Edmund de Rothschild uh, Big Data Fund with uh, Jacques has been managing since 2015. Um, it is on the platform. Take a look at it if you were interested in some of the topics and themes that Jacques was talking about. Jacques, do you want to leave us with some final thoughts or comments? Uh, no, I think you you got all the right questions. So thank you very much for finding me. And I'm happy that my daughter didn't wake up during the interview. So <laughs> Excellent. So that's great. Right. Everything was perfect. Perfect, perfect. All's well that ends well, as Shakespeare once said. So thank you so much, Jacques. Have a good evening and take care, everyone. Insignia Financial Group LLC comprises a number of operating businesses engaged in the offering of brokerage and advisory products and services in various jurisdictions, principally in Latin America. Brokerage products and services are offered through Insignia International Financial Services LLC, headquartered in Puerto Rico, and through Insignia Securities LLC, headquartered in Miami. Both are members of the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, FINRA, and Securities Investors Protection Corporation, CIPIC. Investment advisory products and services are offered through Insignia Advisory Services, LLC, an investment advisor registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. In Uruguay, advisory services are offered through Insignia International Asesores de Inversión Uruguay, SA, Insignia Asesores de Inversión LATAM, SRL, and Insignia Asesores de Inversión de Uruguay, SRL, in Argentina, and through Insignia Argentina, SAU, and in Chile through Insignia Asesorías Financieras, SPA. Collectively, these eight operating businesses make up Insignia Financial Group. To learn more about the broker-dealers, including their conflicts of interest and compensation practices, please go to https colon forward slash forward slash insignia.com forward slash disclosures forward slash or via www.finra.org. To learn about Insignia Advisory Services and any conflicts related to its advisory services, 
Please see its form ADV and brochure, which can be found at, in at Investment Public Advisor Public Disclosures website, https colon forward slash forward slash advisorinfo.sec.gov forward slash.